The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. This next speaker is going to blow your mind. You know, one of the things we tell you is you need to network and network and network. And of course, I always keep telling you the most important word in the English language, the most powerful word in the English language is ask. So I asked my good friend, Mike Jones, if he would do an interview with you. Now, you might not know him by his name, and he's not the rapper. This is the other, the better Mike Jones. Um, But when I tell you what he's done, and he tells you what he's done, you'll know him. You guys interact with products that he's developed or invented on a day-to-day basis. His career is extraordinary, and he has a litany of companies that will blow your mind. So let me just read his, his bio. As a serial entrepreneur, Mike Jones has built, invested in, and been on the board of several companies like Dollar Shave Club, For those of you who aren't shaving yet, you're going to appreciate it when you do. Um, Liquid Death, Play VS, and the newly launched music label, Heavy Sounds Labs. He advised the founders of Snapchat and TikTok. He loves working with early stage founders on their ideas. Mike started his first company in college and continues to build new companies within his firm, Science and currently lives in Malibu, California, with his wife and two kids. I welcome you to Leap, Mike Jones. When did you first, like, decide you wanted to be an entrepreneur or start a business? Was it like a lemonade stand? Or what was, like, the first real thing you did where where you started to make money? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I was absolutely that kid in the neighborhood that sold you the magazine subscriptions and ran the lemonade stand and did the fundraisers. I think I was, uh, you know, stubborn as a young child and I wanted to control my destiny. I wanted to make my own money. And at that point I didn't, I didn't want a boss. Like I really want to control my own, um, you know, my own day. And so throughout high school, um, you know, I was always creating little companies, doing little, you know, businesses. And then in college, I actually partnered up with a bunch of friends and we launched a magazine and that magazine became like a nationally distributed magazine. And we ran this little team and then Eventually, that led me into software, that led me into startups. And so I've been creating, you know, small businesses since I was just a a young little kid. So what was the first business that we would say is like a real business that like my students would probably recognize you from? I think it was probably Dollar Shave Club, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you have somebody that's a student now, Dollar Shave Club being the first brand of mine, you really had probably heard about. So I had worked with the early founder and was super involved in that business. Um, and I can walk you through that story. Would that be, would that be I helpful? I would love to hear it. Yeah. And I'm sure the students yeah. would as well. Great. Well, I had um, opened up this shop in um, Santa Monica that basically was open to early entrepreneurs to come in and pitch me ideas. And I would work with them on their concepts, actually build their businesses. And in this case, we got pitched this business called Dollar Shave Club by this great young founder named Mike Dubin, who um, you know came in. And uh, was trying to raise money, and he, you know, had found a way to get these razors made. And he wanted to start this brand called Dollar Shave Club. And he told us the story about how razors are crazy overpriced, and when you buy them in a store, they're locked up behind a cabinet. And we're not criminals; we can actually buy razors. And Gillette doesn't know who your name is anyway. He told us this big story, 
And then at the very end of the meeting, he showed me this video. And if you haven't seen it, you know, the Dollar Shave Club initial video is something that he made uh, for like a few thousand bucks um, himself. That basically was his brand story about this highly disruptive, cool brand called Dollar Shave Club. We fell in love with him. We fell in love with his marketing. Uh, we provided him capital and I partnered with him, you know, as a board member and a, as an advisor for a four-year journey that eventually led to the company being acquired for a billion dollars uh, by Unilever. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, razor blades were locked up not because they were that valuable. You know, like a lot of times mm -hmm. now they'll put things that are expensive because they didn't want people to, like, cut themselves and all yeah. kinds of crazy things. And so right. men hated buying razors because it was a pain in the neck. He solved mm -hmm. a problem that existed and he did it in such a big way that he started this company up with a few thousand dollars and sold it for a That's billion right. dollars. That's right. That's right. And I think like we're at this really unique time now because brands and products and services, they can communicate to people directly. So whereas in the past, if we were owning a big razor factory, our number one customer might be like the buyer at Walmart or the buyer at, you know, at a supermarket chain. But now anyone can create their own little product and they can talk to people through YouTube and through Instagram, through TikTok, and they can build these organic brands, which is basically what he did. He said like, look, Gillette doesn't know my name, but I've been a lifetime Gillette customer and that's ridiculous. Gillette should know my name. I should create a razor business that serves people better. And eventually that became a huge plethora of brands. He has shampoos and soaps and all the other components that come along with it. And that opportunity is like a today opportunity. So I see stuff all the time where people have new ideas for products and services that are going to communicate digitally. And they're going to basically, you know, take over portions of the market from legacy players that are old and tired. One of the things I love about, you know, the plethora of companies that you work with is that you guys are so cutting edge, you know, you're always looking at technology and whatnot. I mean, I don't think there's mm -hmm. a student on here who isn't familiar with TikTok, but mm -hmm. you guys took it to a whole new level. And why don't you tell them the company you started, you know, and what exactly you're doing with these TikTok? I mean, you guys, they literally put these TikTok people in a house for TikTok yeah. people to just create, it's nuts, but what Mike does is he takes a hundred of the top TikTok stars and basically teaches them how to monetize what they're doing and actually make money doing it. Yeah, it's a big theme for us. And um, if I give you a little bit of history, so, uh, you know, way before TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, there was this platform called MySpace. It was um, it was a hundred million users and it was one of the biggest social platforms of the time. And then Facebook obviously became a billion users and then Instagram. And so they keep building, right? But one thing is at the early days when I was the CEO of MySpace, I spent a lot of time with celebrities. And in particular, I spent a lot of time with Ashton Kutcher. And one thing that was funny about Ashton is I would have a meeting with News Corp that owned MySpace. And news Corp owns all the newspapers and they own all the, all the news channels and everything. And I would think, oh my gosh, News Corp reaches, call it 20 million people a day. And then I'd go meet with Ashton Kutcher, who himself was reaching tens of millions of people a day through Twitter, through Instagram. And we had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like these individuals are becoming their own brands. We call them influencers now, but originally I thought of them honestly as almost like little mini media companies because they influence so many people. And so as Instagram grew, we built a company that worked with top level influencers on Instagram and we sold that company. When YouTube grew, we built another company that walked, worked with the top YouTubers. Uh, we built, we 
We sold two of those companies. One was called Maker Studios, the other was called Bainbit. And then we saw TikTok happen. I had actually met the founders of TikTok years before when the platform was actually called Musical.ly. So a lot of people don't understand, but the first app was called Musical.ly and they were doing a great job, but they couldn't quite get it to scale. They sold the company, rebranded it TikTok. And now obviously TikTok is what it is now. So once again, I looked at these individuals that were reaching millions of people and we said, gosh, we've got to build a business around it. There was this great CEO we knew that was running a company called Mammoth Media that was doing all these apps for for millennial and all these partnerships with, with, with Snapchat. And we started building an agency. And so now through Mammoth Media, we represent a handful of the top TikTokers. And yeah, a lot of them have been building these content houses where we'll find brands, we'll sponsor a mansion that they'll move into. And then they make videos all the time and they feature different brands. And they themselves are basically micro media businesses. Um, and that concept of how do we work with influencers and how do individuals become influencers to become their own media business, it's an interesting part of our investment philosophy and has been really lucrative for us. So you guys picked 100 of the top TikTok stars. I love that. I'm a TikTok star. Just <laughs> like, give me a range. I mean, because I know a lot of kids that watch this think, oh my gosh, they make millions and millions. Like, what would you say out of the, the 100 top TikTok stars, what do you think mm -hmm. their average income is across the board? You know, it's, you know, I, I think out of our hundred, we're dealing with people that are making tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars a year because they're big. There's people bigger than our hundred that I'm sure are making millions. And there's like lots of people that probably make almost nothing, right? Like it's a huge spectrum. And just like many things, like most of the value will, will go to the number one, number five, number 10 players. Just like if you imagine the early days of like Snapchat and Kylie Jenner was becoming Kylie Jenner, so much value weighted towards the top. But certainly if you have that personality where maybe 20, 30 years ago, you would have been an actor and now you want to basically be yourself, but you want to be yourself highly publicly you know, TikTok is a platform for that, right? And you can make some level of a lucrative earning, you know, lucrative you know, life around yourself with that personality. So basically what you're doing is you're connecting these TikTok stars with different brands and then the brands are sponsoring them to create content that they're content. putting on TikTok and boom, 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 right? Exactly. And that's the reason why that's so important right now is if you're an old brand and you want to talk to, new consumers that are between the ages of 14 and 35, it's really hard to talk to them because they're not watching TV and they're not consuming content through billboards, right? You've got to go to where they live, right? They live in Instagram, they live in TikTok, they live in Snapchat. So you've got to find organic ways to connect with those consumers. Previously, those companies would just hire us a big ad agency that runs some legacy ad campaign that would go on TV, but today that, that story's kind of done. Yeah, and so I those mean, big brands want to find ways. You know, it's crazy. I mean, um, you know, we're going to I interviewed Paul Abdul and we, this is pre-taped. So kind of spoiler alert. But when American Idol was in its prime, they had an audience of 30 million people. You'll never see that on TV again. Never, ever, ever, yeah. because there's so much totally competition. Good. And I think that's the genius of what you guys are doing is you need to go where you know, the, the, the customer where the end user lives and it is, it's on TikTok, it's on Snapchat and all that. Now, another big arena that you guys are in right now are esports. Why mm -hmm. don't you talk about that company and what you're doing with that? Sure. Well, you know, I, I, obviously when I grew up, we were all playing video games and now everyone plays video games and, you know, video games itself is like probably one of the biggest entertainment untapped markets out there. It ranges from 
you know, Midwestern moms playing Clash Royale and Clash of the Clans all day and Candy Crush to professional people that spend, you know, 12, 15 hours a day playing in teams. And one thing we saw happen out of Asia, like 10 plus years ago, where teams were being created, stars were being made that were treated like professional athletes and they were being sponsored and they had fans and they would host stadium events around these games. And then America is a little late to that story, but it is coming in a major way. And about, um, let's see, I mean, I guess I was first introduced to the Riot founders, which um, have a game called League of Legends, which is one of the biggest games for competitive uh, esports. I was introduced to them maybe five or six years ago. I played the game with them. I learned why it was kind of like a sport-like game because there's positions and roles. And I finally, for me, kind of opened my eyes to esports and I got excited about it. We looked at investing, but it was hard to find where to invest until we met this really young black founder out of Detroit named Delane. Delane. And Delane basically had this vision around a company that he called Play Versus. And he wanted to connect high schools across America with a tournamenting system to allow everybody of every gender, of every level of ability to compete in teams through esports. And you know, over the past two years, you know, Delane's become a very high profile black founder. He raised um, the largest A round in the history of black founders, which means that he raised a lot of money for his vision. He closed deals with Fortnite, with League of Legends, with a series of the big game publishers to work with them. And then he's basically networked this across America. So if you're in a high school now, um, if your high school works with Play Versus, which most do, you can actually be on a team where you compete against other high schools in video games. Well, Mike, yeah, I mean, let's not be shy. You helped him raise $100 million. I mean, that's no yeah. drop in the bucket, you know? And he's how old? Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm going to get that number wrong. He's, he's mid-20s. Like, when I work with these founders, Bill, I need to be totally honest, I never ask their age. I think at this point, like, we've made more millionaires under the age of 30 than I even want to count. You know, we work with very young people with visions, and I typically don't even ask their age. So he's somewhere in his mid-20s. I'm sure he'll tell you. There's a bunch of publicity on him. He's a high-profile guy at this point. He's way more famous than I am. He's he's, he's on an incredible journey, and he'll probably be a billionaire within the next few but years. But you have a much incredible. more famous name than him, so there you go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Today. <laughs> what are you guys working on right now, like the new exciting thing? Because I know you've always got a bunch of tricks up your sleeve. Yeah, we're always testing a lot of stuff. So, you know, we had these um, these guys come in our office a little over a year ago, and they were tattooed and they were like kind of out of the skater punk culture. And they said, yeah, we want to launch this, this water brand. Plastic's horrible for the environment. And we're going to call the water brand Liquid Death. And we're going to put it in an aluminum can. And it's going to have all these skulls on it. And it's going to be this really, really counterculture water brand. And we fell in love with these guys. We fell in love with the brand. And if we fast forward a year, Liquid Death now is one of the fastest growing water brands we've ever touched. They, they hosted a context with the barracks, which is like this big skate publication to allow people during the quarantine to actually turn their homes into skate parks. And they filmed it and the media was unbelievable. People are getting tattoos of this brand on their body. Um, it's one of the number one water brands now inside Whole Foods. We have a bunch of other big rollouts coming. So right now I spent a lot of time with them because I'm just in love with them. Um, and then the other one we just launched is a company called Off Limits, which is a cereal company founded by this woman named Emily out of New York, who couldn't find cool characters in cereal that were, were women. She actually found only male characters in cereal. So she created these really cool cartoon figures that have kind of depth of personality and emotion. She just launched two cereal brands that are super low sugar, much better for you than traditional cereal. And she was uh, quoted by Vogue as like the next kind of queen of cereal. So 
we're really excited about her actually. And that uh, we just launched uh, a few weeks ago. So that's a big one for us too. All right. That's awesome. Let's switch gears for a minute because you know, a lot of times people look at successful people like you and they think, Oh, guy has a golden touch. Like everything always works. I know from owning businesses, there are times when things don't go the way you want them to go. Right. That's right. Why don't you talk about one of the biggest obstacles that you had to overcome and kind of how you did your work around and and got past it. Yeah. And you're, you're exactly right. I mean, quantitatively I've had more failures than I have had successes for sure. Um, I think like the first thing I had to realize was every failure for me was an opportunity to learn. So I looked at failures as like a ladder, right? With every failure, I was run rung up on the ladder. I was closer to that next success. And I really spent time to try to learn from that failure. So that next decision I made would actually propel me to whatever success I wanted to get to. The other thing that was really important for me is just to get over myself and be really okay with failing. And so just as you said at the beginning of this, it's great to ask. It's positive to ask. It's okay to ask. Right. So the more you can try things, even if you're going to fail, that's okay because that's learning. So you've got to look look at failure as part of an education, not as we would typically quantify as failure. And so my thesis was like, look, if I can fail fast and I can fail frequently, I'm just getting to the point of hitting that next big success. Right. And so every failure is just knowledge I'm going to consume to be better on my next try. And I know my goal now is to try frequently and try a lot. And if I'm trying something and it's taking too long, and it's not working, I got to change. I got to do something different. It's that old metaphor. If you do the same thing, don't expect different results. I take that to heart every day. Being like, what am I doing today that I did previously that hasn't worked? I got to stop it. I got to try something new. And so just getting over yourself and willing to ask for those things, do those attempts, try for those business ideas, try for those things you want to accomplish. Like that's, that for me was a big key. You know, it's crazy. And I keep telling the students this over and over and over and over and over again. We did not rehearse this. You have Mm -hmm. never heard me say what you just said, but literally you almost reiterated verbatim what I told them on the first day. I tell kids, Mm -hmm. I never fail. Mm -hmm. And the reason I never fail is because if I do something and it doesn't come out the way I want it, I don't consider that failure. I call it practice and I'll do it again and again and again and again if I have to. But Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. So give me one of your epic practice events and how you solved it. Um, well, let's see. I mean, there, there's so many times where I've gone through that process of failure. No, the one, one where com- you were like sweating bullets at night. Cause I had a few of those, believe me. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, on one of my first companies, I had a really bad partner and I entered into this partnership, um, really early. I was really young and I knew really quickly I had done a really bad deal. And I went to bed sweating about it, knowing like I just kind of married somebody that was just probably going to run this company to the ground. And all my hard work before this was going to equal nothing. Um, And it took me a long time to unwind that partnership. And I eventually did. And I learned about myself, who I am as a leader, who I am as a business builder, and also how do I construct the relationships around me? And that is really important because in any one of these journeys, there's no self-made successful people. Everyone has a group around them that supports them and helps them grow into that success. And what that taught me is the types of people I need around me and how I need to interact with them and the roles they need to have relative to my roles. 
And the moment I knew more about myself than I knew who I need to put around me in order to build whatever I wanted to accomplish. And that was a big learning experience for me, to your point. Like that was something that was practice. It was a practice partnership. It was a practice business that quote unquote failed, but was a huge learning experience. And without that, I think I would have made that mistake time and time again, and maybe even a more expensive version of it. Yeah, that's a great example. I'll tell you something. I have had so many students come to me over the years, say, hey, Dr. Bill, you know, I want to start this business. I want to start this business. Um, Any advice? One thing, I I mean, obviously, you always want to pick a great business partner. But if there's Mm -hmm. any way that you can start a business with three equal owners, I think that is golden because you will never have a split decision, you know? Right. And when you start with two really kind of alpha personalities, when you, there will be a point where you get to something and it's like you just don't agree. And it's That's not right. like you can flip a coin. You know, usually these yeah. are big, big, big decisions at a certain point. So, you know, I mm-hmm. always say if you can start with, that's what we did with Discus Dental. We started with three mm-hmm. equal partners. Now, over time, as Robert and I grew the company more and more than Dave did, we got more and more equity in the company, but we still always had three partners all the way to the end. And I think that yeah. that was a really critical factor in the success that we had with our company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, what I realized is that I don't need people like me on my partnership team. I need people that are good at the things I'm not good at. Right. So I found that whenever I have people that are too like me, there's actually a lot of conflict, but I know things that I'm really not good at. So what I try to do is find the right partners to put around me that are better at the things that I'm not good at. And that creates a well-rounded partnership for us. Yeah. And that, and, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. I mean, that was what we had at Discus because it was great. Mm -hmm. I had a background in dentistry. You know, I was the dentist. I was the face of the company. I had a small background in marketing. Robert had a background in manufacturing. His, his, his family was Fred Heyman, you know, Giorgio. So he, he had manufacturing and he was an MBA. So he understood business and he understood Mm -hmm. marketing. And Dave was purely a finance guy. He was the the least creative person I've ever met in my life. And together, (laughs) the three of us, we we made, it was like pentatonics. Each one of them is a great singer, but when you take all five of them and put them together, magic happens. So totally agree. So on a personal level, what would you say is the single greatest attribute that you have towards success? So I, I think overall, I, I, my default position is everybody's good. And my default position is there's things for me to learn and there's things for me to teach with everybody that I interact with. I'm always looking for that super positive person, that super positive personality trait, that you know, that undiscovered talent within people that I get to spend time with. And if I can find that, I can typically find ways to kind of magnify their genius and bring their genius out. But I default at a very positive position. And I think positive people find great positive outcomes. Um, that isn't always the case. I've known some negative people that actually have become quite successful. But overall, I found some really, really, you know, positivity is really at the heart of it, which means that kind of love's at the heart of it. Like you've got to love other people. You've got to love other people's visions. You've got to want to help other people become successful along with you and share that success in a community. So, you know, I think that's at the heart of me. And then of course I'm blessed because I have an incredible wife who I've been with for a really long period of time. We both share that philosophy. And so I think we bring that to everything that we do. I think that's awesome. Um, any final message you want to give to my leap students? 
Sure. I, you know, if I think back to what I wish I had done when I was younger, I mean, think at the end of the day, you know, don't wait. You know, if you have something you want to accomplish, you have a goal that you're going after, write that goal down, you know, go after that goal to your point, ask for help on achieving that goal, you know, reaching out to people like we are at, at a point now where in, in certain cases, access to people is really open. You can get to people that are older and more successful than you very easily. Like people are very approachable now. And so there's no reason why you have to wait until you graduate from college to kind of start your career, start your vision, graduate from high school. You can start now and you can start accumulating those lessons now, even if those lessons are, are you know, termed as failure. So my biggest, you know, word of accomplishment or, you know, encouragement is just go and try things like get out there and attempt to accomplish what you want, learn about yourself, find what makes you happy, and then spend your life, you know, going after that happiness. But try to learn what makes you, you know, fall in love at the earliest ages so you can really spend time perfecting that. It's true. They say if you love what you do every day, it's not work, right? Totally agree. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. And I keep telling my kids, you only have to be good at one thing in life, but be really, really, really good at it. And I totally if you agree. have a great idea, believe in yourself. You know, I went to my my 40-year high school reunion, and it blew me away how many people have never done anything really significant in their life. I mean, they had great ideas, but then what? You know, mm -hmm. if you have a great idea and you believe in yourself, you need to do it because this is no dress rehearsal. You know, you don't get a second time around. You know, you got to live life to the fullest. Go out and do it. Mike Jones, thank you so and call, much. call me when you do. And when you do, call thank Mike you. Jones. I'll connect you That's and he'll right. invest. All right. That's Dr. Right. Bill, over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Leap Foundation. On Instagram at Leap Foundation and on Twitter at Leap Los Angeles. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.